0: What an incredible God we serve, Amen. You know, last week, um, as we started, we, we prayed for crew powers, um, and the incredible thing was he his lung had collapsed and he's going to have to have surgery. And um, they're in the hospital and around his bed, they were watching the service <laughs> live, and the nurses came in and I, if I get the story wrong, forgive me, uh, but they I think they wanted to do some tests, get ready for him. And you guys like shh. Pastor Rex is praying, so so they, they prayed, and, and, and then off to surgery and went and visited him later that, that afternoon. His buddies had already been there. They'd already been playing PlayStation and, and hanging out, and it's like, didn't you just have surgery? They just, seriously, they just stapled his lung together, and he's in his bed eating Apple Bees and playing games, and um, amazing recovery. It's good to see you here today, crew. Uh, We're very thankful how God does amazing things in people's lives. We've been praying for many people in this church this morning. uh, Megan Pelton uh, sent me a quick text just about 20 minutes ago. She said her dad, Roger Pound, Karen's husband, uh, is in the hospital. He's having problems breathing. They are taking him. They're out here at Fulton County. They're taking him to Toledo, um, and we need to continue uh, to be praying for Roger um, that they get this figured out what's going on with him. Um, so I want to pause right now and let, let's just pray for Roger and for Karen. Heavenly Father, um, I'm, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that um, right now Roger and Karen and, and John and Megan, they're just feeling an incredible burden uh, of um, frustration and, and just curiosity trying to figure out what's going on, maybe fear. Whether it's worry, whatever it may be, but God, re- replace those feelings with, with peace. God, give give them give them some peace. God, we pray for Roger right now that his breathing gets under control and that if you figure out, God, what's going on, Lord, uh, help them in this moment. Reach down and just put your hand upon Roger right now. We ask, Lord, for healing. We ask, Lord, for the doctors and nurses that are working on him, uh, that they understand what to do. God, we thank you again that you are God who sees all things. You know the people in our church who are hurting, those who have had a rough week, those who had a rough morning, and uh, God, they're here. We thank you for that. God, we ask a blessing upon your word as we look now into your holy scriptures. In name we pray, amen. Open up your Bibles, would you please, to Daniel chapter 4. We're in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4. While you're turning there, I, 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 not to make a break from the atmosphere and the mood of what's going on, uh, but I do want to just remind you tonight, um, J.D. Bergman's going to be here tonight, gentlemen. So men, come, bring other men, bring your sons. There's no child care, so just sort of decide how young your child is, whether or not they should come with you, men. Um, but J.D.'s going to be talking about how to be a world-class man. He's going to talk about who you are spiritually. Um, He'll hit on other things as well outside spiritually, uh, disciplines of your life, whether it's physical, whether it's financial. Um, But J.D. uh, was a wrestler um, here in Oak Harbor, went on to Ohio State. He wrestles for the USA's uh, national team. He's been a part of that for many years, recently stopped wrestling, I mean recently, um, and he's around speaking in a lot of different places. He uh, is solely excited and fired up to share the gospel. So if you've got a friend that doesn't know Jesus Christ and is wrestling with this world, bring them tonight. They're going to hear um, the truth be told. Uh, and as you pull, out, pull in and pull out, we're going to ask for maybe a couple men to be here early to help with parking, help Mike out. Um, as you notice, the parking lot is almost done. Almost done, okay? Um, we'll hopefully get some lines on it this week. I think they got one more coat they got put on it. And then in the spring, they'll do a final coat. Uh, until then, if you could do me a favor, when you go to pull out, as you're, wait to turn your steering wheel until you get moving. Start moving and then turn your steering wheel, because if you're sitting in your vehicle and you turn your steering wheel before you start moving, you're going to sort of rip up the, the, uh, the, the parking lot. So uh, I, I appreciate that. And Tyson Ashman, quit burning out. Okay, anyway. There you are. <laughs> nah, it's not him I have to worry about it. it it's, it's Phil, yeah. And right behind him, it's Betty. No, um, Betty, you're the sweetest woman I know. I would never pick on you, but you do need to slow down. No, I'm just kidding. She'll get me back. She'll, she'll pay back, won't you? I do, because I love you. Daniel chapter 4. I don't know about you, but I'm, I tend to be forgetful of things. And so sometimes we, we forget things, right? Um, I don't know, some of you maybe forgot where you parked your car at the time. You've been to a store and you walk out and you're just sort of wandering around, wondering where you parked your vehicle. Uh, I'm, I'm so notorious in walking away from my vehicle and, and I'm like, did I lock it? I can't remember if I locked it. I, I, will, I will do that probably two, three times a day where I'll walk away from my vehicle and forget if I locked it and I'll walk back just to make sure it's locked. Uh, I do that all the time. Maybe... You know at your house, somebody forgets to do a chore, right? Oh, I forgot to take out the trash. And we know they're not forgetting. They're just not doing it, right? Uh, but we forget different things. Maybe your kids say, oh, I forgot. Or maybe you said, I forgot, to your boss or somebody else. Um, we all have those excuses, right? We forget. I forgot your birthday. Sorry. Um, in today's scripture, in this, in this scripture, we see King Nebuchadnezzar forgot something, I mean he forgot something huge. And we'll discover what that is as we get more into it and how it happened. But he forgot that God was the Almighty King. That last song that we sang couldn't be more appropriate for what we need to hear today. That God is the only God, there are no other false there are no other gods, they're all false, they cannot be worshipped, including the God of self. How can we forget that God is in charge? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, as we read this story, we need to know that, again, years have passed between chapter 3 and chapter 4. There's a time period, a time span in there. The Bible is an amazing book. It's separated Old Testament and New Testament. But sometimes what we forget is that even if we were just to focus on the Old Testament, that some of the books of the Bible overlap. As Daniel was writing, there were other prophets that we read about in the Old Testament that were writing at the same time. And it's amazing how some of this happens, and, it's, and chronologically how it all falls out. There's Daniel chapter 3, and then there's some other writings, Ezekiel, and goes on, and then, oh, boom, there's Daniel again. There's like a span here, and it's, it's neat to see. I'd encourage you sometime, pick up a chronological Bible and read it in that order. Uh, it's amazing. But as we read this here, it's a different time period now, and we'll pick up Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's read it. It's a unique testimony of a Gentile king, how God changed his heart. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. And how great are his signs. How powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. Now at this point in time in the Babylonian Empire, there's this incredible empire taking place. King has it going. Very wealthy, very excited. But here's what happens. He is sending a message to every race, every nation, every people. So even though his empire is huge, he's sending this out beyond his empire. If if this were taking place today, it'd basically be, I've got a primetime press conference that's going to be done today at 2 o'clock. Every news station is going to be just clued in. They're going to be watching. They're going to be seeing what's going to happen. Every social media outlet is going to be, people are going to be tweeting Facebook Live, Instagram, Snapchat, and everything else that could be snappy social media out there, okay? It's all focused on what is going to come out of this press conference. This is the power again of what was taking place at this time. The power of King Nebuchadnezzar saying, I want everybody to hear this message. What kind of message is this Is this going to be? We're going to find out that King Nebuchadnezzar is about ready to make a witness. And when I may say make a witness, he's going to testify to what is true in his life. He's going to talk about the goodness of God, and Daniel is basically retelling, as he's writing this, he's retelling what King Nebuchadnezzar said. And the king wanted to share what took place, praising God's, power, God's performance upon King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He he was a new man. He was changed from the inside out. He's forever different, and he wants the world to know what's going on in his life. He was once a very proud man, but he was brought to his knees in great sorrow. And in his sorrow, he repented to God and said, I'm wrong. And God changed him. He forgave him. C.S. Lewis once said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. King Nebuchadnezzar, no doubt about it, was a proud man. He's always looking down on people, always looking down on others, always looking at himself. He never looked up to God. Not till this moment in time. And so in this moment in time, he's changed. And he says, I Want to praise God. I used to look down, but now I'm looking up. And all praise and glory go to my heavenly Father, to God, to an almighty king, an almighty ruler. He's saying that. Why? Because he's a king and a ruler. But God's the almighty king and ruler. So he says this. He gives praise. And let me tell you something, church. It is good to give a hallelujah, a praise God, an amen every now and then. And not necessarily in church. You can say it in church if you want. I don't care. But in life, when you see God do something good, it's okay to say praise God. You know, sometimes we're a little nervous about like saying it out loud. We're like, hallelujah. Really? Why would you whisper it? Go ahead. Shout it out. Give that praise. Imagine you're competing in a, in a home stadium. If you're an athlete, can you imagine you're at your home stadium and you do something spectacular and great? Your team does something, they score, something happens, and the home crowd all stands around and goes, Yeah, that's, that's really good. Nice job. Okay. Now, if I'm the opposing team, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking around saying, Nobody's cheering you on, they're all silent. I like this. I have a shot. I believe that's the way the enemy works too. When we keep silent, Satan cheers. He's like, really? You you don't know how big of a God you have and and you're not celebrating what he just did? I tried to defeat you. You found victory and you didn't cheer. I'm going to keep going after you because you truly don't understand victory. A quiet church makes Satan happy. Church, let's never be quiet. Let's always give God the praise. Always give him a shot of victory, because he deserves. It's not about us, right? Nebuchadnezzar says this. He goes, "God's kingdom is going to last forever. His rule will be through all generations." Again, here's a king. If you remember chapter two, you remember the first dream the king had he a mighty statue resembling different empires and kingdoms and then in chapter 3 he's like you know what i'm going to make a statue resembling me and it's going to make it all solid gold basically because gold represented the babylonian kingdom and then there's all these other kingdoms in that statue in his dream that were going to overtake him and he's like no i'm going to make sure i rule that was chapter 3 well things change over time what changed Let's look in verse 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream and it frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream. But they couldn't tell me what it meant. At last. Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream he was named Belshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy gods in him and I said to him Belshazzar chief of the magicians I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve now tell me what my dream means Nebuchadnezzar is living in incredible comfort incredible prosperity And I'm going to tell you something. When we find that moment of comfort and prosperity, we can become very complacent in how we live. And he was there. He was resting in this sort of false peace. We think that if we have enough money, we have enough cars, we have a big house, we've got the great landscaping, we're going to find peace. I've got it all. And I can rest. I'm going to tell you, that's not peace. You just checked off matching what your neighbors did or outdoing somebody else. There's really no peace there. It's a false peace. And God shook him from this false peace, this false security, and gave him this dream that really shook him. It's not the same dream that we saw in Daniel chapter 2. It's a different dream. Nebuchadnezzar easily told all of his counselors, hey, come on in. I'm going to tell you my dream this time. I I tried to make you tell me the dream before. I'm just going to tell you my dream. Here's my dream. What does it mean? Explain it to me. Now, these wise men could not tell him the dream. And we don't know if they couldn't tell him the dream or they wouldn't tell him the dream. But it is an easy enough dream for anyone to interpret that they could have told him the dream. But they did not tell him the dream. And why is that? Probably because they lacked more courage than they did insight because they knew what the dream meant. They did not want to tell the king what his dream meant. Regardless, They didn't get the interpretation, so he went to Daniel, which always confuses me because it says, at last, Daniel came in. Who helped him interpret those dreams in the other chapters, right? Daniel, the chief, as he called him, the chief magician, the chief sayer, the chief dream interpreter. Well, if he's the chief, why didn't you go to him first, king? Don't we do that with God sometimes? We have problems in our lives, and we try to solve them before we go to God. God. We know that God can solve all problems. God can give us a peace, God can help us. But yet sometimes we're like, we take it upon ourselves. It's like, I'll handle this. Well, I'll go to everybody else. I'll just give a shout out to everybody over here. And, um, oh, those didn't work. I guess I'll go to God. It's hard for us to knock Nebuchadnezzar on this because we've done it ourselves, right? Let's continue. Verse 10. He begins to tell Daniel his dream. While I was lying in bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves. It was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade. Birds nested in its branches. And the world was fed from the tree. Isn't that a beautiful picture, right? Then as I lay there dreaming... I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree, lop off its branches, shake off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and its roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze. And surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the drew of heaven, and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. Big dream gone bad. Right? Beautiful picture all of a sudden turned dark. Notice the tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, for what it was, it was noted for its size its strength, its prominence, its beauty, its fruit, and its shelter. But then this messenger comes along and says, "Listen, here's the fate of this tree. You know the tree is going to be chopped down, it's going to lose its size. It's going to lose its strength, its prominence, its beauty, its fruit and shelter." And he also said this about the tree. It represented a man. And that man was going to be changed and given the heart of a beast bound with a band of iron and bronze, that tree would no longer be free and would no longer be great. Oh, boy. Look at verse 17. For this has been decreed by the messengers, it's commanded by the holy ones, so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Now, like most kings, ancient and modern, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to believe that he ruled instead of God. That he ruled instead of anybody else. He's the king. That's what kings do. They sit on thrones, they proclaim their greatness and their power, and they look down upon everybody else. There's no way anybody rules greater than King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And if you were to clearly think about this dream, it's not that hard to interpret He is that great tree, that tree of prominence and strength and power and beauty and fruit. And it clearly dealt with the humbling of a great king. It's no wonder none of Nebuchadnezzar's magicians and fortune tellers and interpreters wanted to interpret it. Verse 18, Belshazzar, that was a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means. For none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the Holy God is in you. Nebuchadnezzar knew he could get an honest answer from Daniel. Isn't that the kind of man we should be, gentlemen? The kind of man that if somebody wants an honest answer, they're coming to you. That's a compliment. Be that kind of man, right? Though Nebuchadnezzar recognized Daniel as a man filled with the spirit of a holy God, he had not yet yielded himself to God. Isn't that amazing? Daniel, I recognize you as a man of God, but yet I do not want to be that kind of person. I recognize that you worship a a mighty God that can save men from fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I recognize how powerful your God is, but I'm not yielding to him yet. I'm still the king. I'm still the ruler of my own empire. But yet, Daniel, I recognize you as being pretty special because you have a holy God. Just not clicking yet, is it? Look at verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Now, before we move on, let me just pause and say, when we read about people in the Bible, they weren't all that tough. They weren't all that holy at times. They weren't all that perfect. And sometimes as we read the Bible, it's like, I can never be like that. I can't can't be like these people in the Bible. Can I remind you over and over again, as we read through the Bible, we find the weaknesses of man too. Because in the weakness of man, that's where we find a holy God that gives us strength. And when we find the weakness of man, we realize that's because we are we are weak, we are sinful, and that's why we need a holy God to bring salvation to save us. And in Daniel, in this instance, it says he's frightened by this meaning of the dream. Even the godly gets shaken and tossed a cup of fear every now and then. And so it was with Daniel. Let's read on. Verse 20. The king said to him, Belshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream, what it means. Belshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves loaded with fruit for all to see. Wild animals lived in its shade. Birds nested in the branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you've grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to heaven you rule ruled to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty. What the most high, referring to God, has declared will happen to you, my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society. You'll live in the fields and the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Daniel genuinely cared for Nebuchadnezzar, and it clearly affected him as he's trying to tell him the meaning of the dream. He didn't, he didn't want it to be true of his friend Nebuchadnezzar, which is amazing to believe, isn't it? Daniel applied the point, though, with uncertainty. Instead of reaching for some general point and saying, you know, king, we could all use a dose of humility, couldn't we? <laughs> he didn't beat around the bush. He went right to the point. He brought the truth in love. I believe Daniel had grown to, to know and love the king over those years with a genuine love. He looked at him and said, I know he's an ungodly man, but I love this man. Verse 26. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, king. Until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means you'll receive your kingdom back again when you've learned that heaven rules. What a message. That was God's intended purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. See, God is a God of grace. Even when he looks at the ungodly, he says, I still have grace for you. I still want you to know that I am God, and I don't want to destroy you. I want to love you. I want you to love me. I'm going to give you another shot here. I want to save you. The king could have avoided all this humiliating fate if he would just genuinely humble himself. Church, after a dream like that, and you know it's for you, and you're being told, all you got to do is humble yourself. Realize you're not God. He is. Oh, he's not the big man upstairs. He's not the old man. He is God. Please never refer to him in those other terms. He is God, ruler of all. And until we see God for who he is, we will live as gods. We will think it's all about us, it's all about our family, it's all about our kids. It's all about whatever we choose to have, our riches, our our houses, our cars. Our pride will swell in so many different directions. But until we learn that we're not God, that we're not rulers, that he is, we're heading down the wrong path. King Nebuchadnezzar was heading down the wrong path. Daniel pleaded with the king, verse 27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Look at this verse. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps, perhaps, then you'll continue to prosper. Here's, let me just give you the direct interpretation of the dream. Okay, here it comes. King, you're the great tree. It symbolizes your greatness. That's in verse 20 to 22. 23 King, you are the tree that's going to get chopped down and there's only going to be a stump remaining. Verse 23 to 25, King, you're going to be like an animal outdoors in the fields until seven periods of time have passed. Verse 25, King, all this is going to happen until you learn a valuable lesson that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anybody he wants. Verse 26, King, when you come to your spiritual senses, you get your kingdom back. God is a gracious and loving God. He is quick to forgive and show mercy, right? So Daniel tells that to the king. King, listen to my counsel. Stop sinning. Do what's right. See, a lot of us, we just focus on the, I want to do what's right, or I want to try to stop sinning, but we've got to put that together. Stop sinning and do what is right. Stop your wicked injustices. Show mercy to the oppressed. Quit trying to hog everything and go help those who need it. If you do, God may be kind, perhaps there'll be an extension to your prosperity, King, right? I think this is incredible that Daniel cares so much for the king. Because if we remember the king, remember the king? I'm going to tear you limb from limb. I'm going to throw you into a heated fire. This was an evil, cruel king who conquered nations and killed people along the way. He didn't care. And over the years, Daniel had grown to love that king and probably pray for that king. He loved them enough that he told them the truth. We must be willing to share the bad news with people who do not know God as well. We all have people who don't know Jesus Christ. We know who they are. It might be family members. It might be you in here today. It could be somebody at work, a classmate. They don't know who God is. They don't know the love of God. They don't know that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us because we can't pay that penalty of sin. Our sin separates us from God. And there's no way for it to have a relationship with God unless somebody bridges that gap. And Jesus said, I've come to bridge the gap. And he died on that cross. And his death on that cross, his sacrifice, it ended all sacrifices. So that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. Some of our loved ones don't know that. And Daniel looks at this ungodly man who, who knows. He doesn't have a relationship with the God of the universe. and He loves him enough to tell him the truth. King, stop sinning. Get your life right. Confess to God. Humble yourself. What a beautiful picture for us to remind us. You know what? Your faith is not a private thing. It is your life. And your life is a light not to be hidden. It is salt to be put out to preserve and to change this world. That's our life. Our faith should be evident. It should be vocal. Never apologize to anybody. Well, I sort of believe. No, you don't sort of believe. You believe. With all boldness and courage, you share your faith. Why? Because you love people. If you truly love somebody, you tell them the truth. If you knew they're about ready to drive off a cliff, you would stop them. If they're about ready to put poison in their mouth, you would you would grab that fork and tell them not to eat it. And we have people that are dying and going to hell. And what are we doing about it? We should be bold like Daniel and say, "I want to tell you the truth because I love you." Now listen, they may reject you. Maybe they don't want to hear that truth. That's that's not for you to decide, but it is our duty and our job and our responsibility. At least tell them. Their choice is their choice. Nebuchadnezzar was not only counseling him to stop sitting, but he said, I want you to practice doing what's right. Let's read on. Verse 28. All these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he's taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still on his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You'll be driven from human society. You'll live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way. You'll learn that the Most High rules over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled, Nebuchadnezzar, was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like the bird's claws. So a year later, you think about this. God gave him 12 months to repent, but here we go back to what I started with the sermon. He forgot. He forgot who God was. Oh, yeah. That dream. I forgot all about that dream. Let me remind you. And it was an incredibly fearsome reminder. Because, see, God doesn't forget. We might forget. God never forgets. God said you, you obviously forgot what's going to happen, right? And he walked on that rooftop overlooking the city, took credit for all that was done. And Babylon, no doubt about it, was one of the most beautiful cities, one of the most beautiful cities Include famous hanging gardens built by Nebuchadnezzar. As a matter of fact, in the British Museum, there's six columns of writings recovered from Babylon. Describes the huge building projects of, of King Nebuchadnezzar with his zeal to enlarge and, and beautify the city. Most of the bricks that were found in different excavations when they were finding the Babylonian city, they found bricks that said Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, right on the bricks. Oh, he's a very proud man that beautified the city, no doubt about it. And when you look in history, there's a seven-year gap where King Nebuchadnezzar's ruins are not found. Nobody can find them. What happened during those seven years? This is the seven years when he was driven insane. And as a king, you don't record that stuff. It's an embarrassment to your nation. So let's just not put that in the writings. Historical writings go and look, and they can't find A Greek historian wrote in 20... 268 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar was possessed by some god that he had immediately disappeared. So between 582 B.C. and 575 B.C., there's nothing written about King Nebuchadnezzar. He was given the opportunity to humble himself, and instead of humbling himself, he lifted himself up. He was struck by what some believe they call it a behavioral disorder called boanthropy. And boanthropy is where one imagines himself to be a cow or bull, and then acts accordingly. No matter what we deem it, he did act like a cow. He went out into the grass. He grazed like a cow, got on all fours, and just ate grass. His hair grew long. His his fingernails grew out. And for seven years, he slept in the fields and acted like a cow. God humbled him. God truly humbled him. And the experience was more severe than it was. Could have been had he just gone before God and humbled himself. James chapter four verses six to 10 says, "And he, referring to God, gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up in honor. And after looking down to the ground for seven years like an animal, his head being down in the ground, eating grass, he finally looked up to God. He finally looked up to God and confessed. And he was restored to being a man made in God's image, not that of a beast. He was a changed man and a new man. Look at verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. I praised and I worshipped the Most High and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. And all the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. God does as He pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop Him or say to Him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, So did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored as head of the kingdom, even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts and just are true, and he is able to humble the proud. Nebuchadnezzar could not break free from this madness until he looked to God and humbled himself and confessed. Nebuchadnezzar learned that the God... Whom he served not only exists, but ruled. See, it's easy for us to walk around and say, Well, oh, I believe that God exists. Yeah, anybody can say that. The question is, Do you believe he rules? You can live as if God exists, but that looks like everybody else. But you can live like God rules, and that changes everything. Nebuchadnezzar is now living as if God rules. This Babylonian king saw. Who God was, and he eloquently praised his sovereignty. And after that, his sanity returned. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. We do not worship enough, my brothers. Even in our public gatherings, we don't have enough worship. Oh, worship the king. Bow your heads now. Bow your spirits, rather, and adore him that lives forever and ever. Your thoughts, your emotions... These are better than bullocks and he goats that are offered on the altar. God will accept them, but worship him with lowliest reverence. For you're nothing, and he is all in all. Do we humble ourselves and look up and say, you're God, I'm not. The king said, I was restored as the head of the kingdom and even greater honor before that. God wanted to restore Nebuchadnezzar. God doesn't want to destroy anybody; He wants them to know him. The goal wasn't to bring him low, but to bring him to the proper place before God and among men. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not here to wipe you out. I want you to know where, you're, where you stand. You need to figure that one out. Because God is supremely glorious. He will not allow others to steal His glory. So when we sit there and we pump our chest and we say, "Look what I did, God's going to say, "Look, what, who did? Who gave you that voice? Who gave you those thoughts? Who gave you that creativity? Who gave you that skill? Who gave you the ability to, to shoot a basketball or run with a football or, or to run a great distance? Who gave you that skill? Who gave you the skill to sing the songs and the write, right stories and the to, and to right books? Who gave you that skill? God did. And so it's of our utmost interest and thought that we should pause on a daily basis and thank God for what he's given us. And never trust in ourselves, but trust Him. Pride is dangerous. Pride keeps our eyes on ourselves. We see ourselves as the solution to all problems, the source of all needs. We trust ourselves. We pamper ourselves. We worship our own lives. And we do this, and guess what happens? We no longer look at God who gives it all and who can take it all. He's the source of life. He's the one to trust the mighty Savior. And when we have pride, pride basically rejects God. Pride says, don't need you, God. Think about this. The next time you don't think you need God, all you have basically done is says, There's no room in this heart for you. And I hope that never gets to a point with any of us in this room. Pride is believing you can break God's commands and not be reprimanded. I can go ahead and go out and do this. God's not going to punish me when we talk back to people, when we treat people with disrespect, when we hurt somebody, when we, when we go out and we do something we know is wrong, we're not going to get away with it. You might have gotten away with it from a parent or somebody else that was overseeing you. You'll not get away with it with God. But pride says, I can get away with it. And pride will hurt you. C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin and with good reason because it's the sin that led fall the fall of Satan. Christians will admit when they say, when they sin, you know, we'll stand up here and we'll say, uh, uh, yeah, I've sinned. I, I've, I've cursed. I've lied. I've gossiped. I, I've, I've, I've been angry and I've, I've hurt people. How often do we hear a Christian get up in front of a group of people and say, uh, I want to confess my sin to you of pride? Not very often, do we? Other sins are quickly confessed pride not so much but God is clear about pride Proverbs 8:13 let me read a few verses to you all who fear the lord will hate evil God says therefore i hate pride and arrogance corruption and perverse speech Oof. King Nebuchadnezzar learned uh, Proverbs 16:18 and Proverbs 18:12 pride goes before destruction and haughtiness which is arrogance before a fall arrogance goes before destruction humility precedes honor Church, we need to make sure we learn to take our eyes off ourselves and place them on God. We have to learn to humble ourselves. Realize we're not God. Psalm 10.4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. If it's all about me, you just kick God out of the house. If we think we can get away without recognizing as God is the one in charge, we will be humbled. Maybe not to the extreme as what King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, but we will be humbled. John Piper said this, Jesus came into the world to convert people from godlike dependence on self to childlike dependence on God. And then he died to pay the penalty for our pride and to show us the way to humility. And to send all of our boasting toward God and not toward ourselves. Church, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Do a life check. Have we become so proud and so boastful in our lives that we have taken our eyes off of the heavens and off of God and put them upon ourselves and our lives and the things around us? If so, confess it. humble ourselves let's humble ourselves we are not God we are not in charge and anytime we try to be in charge we've kicked God off the throne there's only one throne and God is on it Amen would you please stand let's pray worship team forward. Heavenly Father what an awesome God you are God, we do want to look to you. We do want to sing songs to you. But it's not just about looking to you and singing songs to you and worshiping you in that manner, but it's living it out. We can say we love you and we can say that we worship you, but are we living for you? Are we we making you the God of our life? Have we made the things in this world the gods of our life? Have we made our children? Have we made our spouse? Have we we made another person the God of our life? Do we worship God? those people and those things more than we worship you. There's only room for one person on the throne and that's you. God, help us remember that. God, I pray that we never have to be humbled as Nebuchadnezzar was humbled to where we started eating grass and sleeping in fields and acting like an animal. Because we are created in your image. God, God, we're here this morning and we need to confess a sin to you, maybe a confession of pride. We want to confess that now. God, You are God and God alone. We are not on the throne. Forgive us when we act like it. Forgive us when we try to do things our way and believe it's the best way and we've not even talked to you. God, give us the words like Nebuchadnezzar that after his life was restored, after he confessed, he couldn't keep quiet. He brought all nations, all people together to hear him say, praise God. Hallelujah, I'm changed. There's a God on the throne and it's not me. There's a God who rules all kingdoms and empires and it is the God of this universe. God, may our testimony be like that of King Nebuchadnezzar. Shouting praise to you, my name we pray.